0: What's going on, Glory and Joy family? Are you at Howard? This is Pastor Cyril Chavis. I'm here with Pastor Russ. What's going on, Pastor Russ? What up, what up, what up? This is the podcast where we give the Bible's answers to your burning questions so that your life can be filled to the brim with God's glory and joy. So last week, we addressed part one of the question, and this week, we're going to address part two. So just for y'all's memory, I'm going to read the question again, and then we'll dive in. All right. The question was from a student, and it reads... How do we know if other religions are wrong? I know for Christianity, our truth is that there is only one God who sent his son to die for our sins. But there are other religions that have convictions maybe just as strong as ours. We have our own evidence for our beliefs, and they have their own evidence for believing what they believe. Would other religions be wrong? I don't know how to word this because they are wrong for Christians. Do we just coexist like we do now? So last week we addressed kind of the first part of that of like, Essentially, essentially, we kind of broke this question down into three parts. Are other religions wrong? How do we know they're wrong? And if they are wrong, do we coexist? Mm-hmm. So last week, we kind of addressed, you know, are other religions wrong and how do we know they're wrong? And so this mm-hmm. week, we're going to jump into, okay, what does it mean to coexist? What does it mean to live with each other, uh, mm-hmm. particularly people who have differing beliefs? So mm-hmm. why, is, why is this piece important, the coexisting piece? This is so important because from the beginning of the Bible,
1: To the end of the Bible, what we see is that God's purpose in not only creating us, uh, but even after the fall in redeeming us, God's purpose is that his people would live their lives for the benefit of the world. Mm -hmm. That's the whole point. Like he sends us into the world. We're supposed to be salt and light. We're supposed to be servants to the world, our relationship to the world is a crucial element of actually living out our faith. This me and Jesus version of the Christian faith um, doesn't really capture the corporate nature, the communal nature, the social nature of the Christian faith. God wants us in the mix yeah. in the world, and so that then forces the the real question of well, how should we how should we equip ourselves? How should our mindset be? when it comes to our interaction with the world. So the question is extremely important and relevant.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, I think when we, when we think about glorifying and enjoying God, we do that. I mean, we can't ignore the fact that we live on planet Earth and that we live yes. with other people and That's that right. we live in cities and communities where people are coming from all different backgrounds.
1: Mm-hmm. and especially
0: in a place as diverse as a college campus you know mm. uh, yes. especially one like Howard where there's people from all over the country all different backgrounds you have mm. muslims hindus nation of islam like mm-hmm. people who have their who might not claim a certain world religion but have their own particular mix of beliefs you know christians uh-huh. and there's different kind of like traditions of christianity you have ethiopian orthodox and mm. uh maybe ethiopian evangelical or
1: mm-hmm. you know baptist
0: methodist and so like how to coexist with other people who have Mm -hmm. differing beliefs, beliefs that you believe are wrong that are (laughs) against your own beliefs. You know, we cringe at hearing that. Like maybe some of you just cringe when I just said, you know, we believe that other people have wrong beliefs, but it's, we can't escape it. And like, yeah, how do you live with someone when you disagree with them? You know,
1: that's right. And they think the same thing about us.
0: Right. You
1: know, so this is like, we all have our convictions and we live out of those convictions in distinction from other people. So then the question is, what does that look like for healthy Christian faith in the context of difference?
0: Yeah, that's good. Yeah. All right. So let's hop into what the Bible says about this. Um, mm. I, th- I think it's important to recognize one thing. I was in Bible study last week. Mm-hmm. We were talking about we're basically going through God and who he is. And we're, last week we looked at God alone. Like how mm. God makes an exclusive claim for being God. Our God's name is, you know, Yahweh, and mm. he makes the claim to be God alone. Yes. And I am saying, like, the whole Bible can basically be summarized uh, by the saying, God is the goat. Like, mm. there are other spiritual beings, there are other so-called gods, but uh-huh. God's <laughs> God's agenda <laughs>
1: throughout the well. whole Bible
0: is to basically say, I'm better, therefore worship me only. Ooh-y. And so
1: <laughs> and so,
0: constantly throughout the Bible, um, people have to deal with the fact that like Christians um, have they, they have a God who says you cannot worship me in any other gods. And so mm-hmm. like. God is, is is a lot of what he's doing is showing them why he's worthy of that worship. And a lot mm-hmm. of what he's doing is preventing them from being led astray to Mm -hmm. worshiping other gods or being led astray to other systems of spirituality and belief that are contrary to the gospel. So
1: that's just like one
0: introductory thought to Mm -hmm. the Bible.
1: Yeah. I mean, here's, here's one that I think is like very important, but often overlooked. If you go back to the story of the Exodus, right? One of the things that happens immediately after God sets his people free, Is he gives them a statement of their identity. And this is in Exodus 19. And he says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, that is crucial. That is one of the most significant Mm -hmm. identity statements for Israel. But kingdom of priests, what did priests do? Priests were mediators. They were connectors between God and the people. He says that your presence in the world should look like a priestly presence, which is to say that you serve me in serving the people and you serve the people in serving me. You are a mediatorial people. You're a you're a bridge people. People mm-hmm. ought to get a taste of who I am and what I'm like by the way you live in the world. That's an yep. identity statement. You know.
0: Yeah, yep. that's key. Yeah, priests bring people into the presence of God. They labor in the presence of God, and they bring mm-hmm. others into God's presence. So, like, that's right. what does it look like for the church to live in the world as those who bring others into God's presence? By the way, we live, talk, move. Um, and as you were saying Mm -hmm. that I was thinking of Jeremiah chapter 29 verses four Mm -hmm. through nine, Uh when basically, you know, so they were saved from Egypt, Mm -hmm. they get into the promised land and over many years, they eventually are unfaithful, totally unfaithful to God. And God says, you know, I'm going to basically put you back where you started Mm -hmm. in captivity.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, And this
0: time, instead of Egypt, it was Babylon. Uh But God says this, when they go into exile, Mm -hmm. he says, um, for in its welfare, you will find your welfare hmm. for that says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your hmm. prophets or diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream for. It is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them declares the Lord. Hmm. So basically saying, I'm sending you into exile into a place that is not your own. Like the hmm. gods are not your own. You, the, the power structures are not your own. You are not hmm. self-governed. You are in, you're an exile in a foreign land and how you live there is do not retreat from it. Do not pretend like you're about to go home soon, like live mm-hmm. there, invest there, seek the shalom, the, the comprehensive wholeness of this place, because as mm-hmm. you love it, you're going to seek the shalom of yourselves and your own people. And so yes. like this paradigm or this framework of Christians are people in exile. Like this world is not our home. We live in a place that, um, yeah, it is not our home. And so we we shouldn't retreat from it and like create mm-hmm. these little separate communities that have nothing to do with the world. We ought to live in the world as those who want to contribute to it, seek its welfare, invest here and seek the good of our neighbors and our cities and our communities. Mm-hmm. So even, you know, when I just um quoted that passage in Jeremiah of how they were living in exile in Babylon, the book mm-hmm. of Daniel is a good picture of what it looks like to live in exile. And I think what's interesting about Daniel's life is he has a lot of like, there's a lot of themes that can be in contradiction Mm -hmm. on the surface, in apparent Mm -hmm. contradiction. So you see throughout his stay there, uh, he receives favor from people, um, yet he receives opposition from people. Mm -hmm. One moment, the king is like, Daniel, you are so wise and God is with you. Like, you know, (laughs) you are the most exalted in our our court. And then the next moment, Mm -hmm. you know, there's people in the royal court who are trying to scheme on Daniel and, you know, take him out, Mm -hmm. you know. And then uh, there's also kind of the theme where on Daniel's end that sometimes he is, well, all the time he is serving Babylon. He's serving the king. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's a servant, but also he has to call people out. So he Mm -hmm. calls the king out. He calls the kingdom out. He has to call out wickedness. So while he is for Babylon, he also sometimes has to be against Babylon. Mm -hmm. And so I think it can be. Yeah. So, yeah, that's good. So, like, he's for Babylon, like he's for its welfare. He's for Shalom. He's loving Mm -hmm. Babylon, but also against, meaning that he has to challenge and even um, announce destruction over Babylon or announce judgment over Babylon for uh the wickedness and the injustice that it does and so yeah. i think in the christian tradition we see we see these like different things that can be in seeming um mm. tension with each other i guess they aren't tension mm. with each other but they're somehow lived in harmony in the life of the christian
1: that's right And the language for that uh and a, a, a something that seems to be a contradiction that's actually not is called an antinomy
0: okay mm. okay so
1: um, just a little language that, that might serve you. Like part of it is getting your vocabulary up so that when you read other works, you understand what they were saying.
0: Yeah, that's good. Um, I think
1: that, uh, I think that another important, um, another important aspect of all this is, um, once you start getting into like, what does the Bible say about how we're to interact with people? You start to see the formation of a Christian ethic as it relates to our neighbors and Jesus all through the gospels is constantly trying to get his people to understand the, the core, the essence of the faith. And so they're like, hey, what's Jesus? They're trying to trying to test Jesus, right? Like Jesus, what, what is the summary of the law? And he says, mm-hmm. love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That is the essence of what God has always been after. And then you get all these parables, like this cat comes up to Jesus in Luke 18, And he's like, all right, teacher, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus ultimately gets him to see that neighbor love is a crucial outworking of true faith and true relationship with God. And Kat is like, and who's my neighbor? And then (laughs) Jesus is like, let me tell you a parable, right? And he tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now the parable of the good Samaritan, the point that Jesus is making is this, the man who approaches Jesus, he, he, he has this category. He has two categories in his head. There are neighbors and there are Mm non-neighbors and the neighbors were the people that he enjoyed being around. They shared his culture. They were like him. And then he had these people that he felt like he could safely ignore. And what Jesus ultimately tells him, teaches him through the parable of the good Samaritan and what Jesus is teaching us is that everybody is your neighbor.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: There's no category for Christians that is non-neighbor. People we can safely ignore, neglect, disregard, mistreat.
0: Yeah, I think that's That's a powerful
1: teaching, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's good. And especially in an age where sometimes when people have this image of Christians, that we are the people who, um, there's certain classes of people that we, don't associate with or we mm. turn our noses up against or that we're judgmental mm-hmm. against like the bible mm-hmm. just goes against all of that like any type of yes um yeah judgmental spirit any type mm-hmm. of racism mm-hmm. any type of just uh
1: classism yeah misogyny, classism
0: all any it. any way of being that flows against loving anyone who we bump up against like that's, that's contrary what. to god's love in christ
1: Love, you know, can be very amorphous, unformed. It's like whatever you want it to be in our contemporary culture. Mm-hmm. But if you want to know what love looks like from a Christian vantage point, we have an amazing text that you're probably familiar with and it's first Corinthians thirteen. And this passage you may have heard at like a wedding ceremony or something like that. But what's interesting, is that this teaching that Paul gives in first Corinthians 13 on love is actually for the, it it is given in the context of community that is in conflict. And so Paul was like, yo, let me tell y'all about what love looks like. And and I want you to think about this in relationship to your neighbors as well. Paul says in first Corinthians 13, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, all I am is a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I'm just making noise.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean,
1: if I have prophetic powers, like I'm a good preacher, I can unpack the word. I have theological knowledge and I understand all kinds of knowledge. And if I have all faith to move mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, I'm mad generous and I deliver up my body to be burned. I'm sacrificial, but I have not love. I gain nothing. Mm-hmm. And then he says, this is what love is. Love is patient and kind. So I'm just going to fill this in for the question. Love is patient and kind with our neighbors who don't share our faith. Mm. Love does not envy or boast in the face of our neighbors who don't share our faith. It is not arrogant toward our neighbors who don't share our faith or rude to our neighbors who don't share our faith. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, Mm. but rejoices with the truth. So that part right there, it leads us to like, you know, you can disagree with, with people and, and also like affirm the good things about their life or their way of being yeah. while also challenging the things that, that you think are off
0: base, right? Yeah, both can happen in the same conversation. At, at the same time, right? We can
1: do two things at the same time here. Love bears all things. That means it has resilience. It's not easily deterred, right? It believes all things, which means that it has, it has hope and... um. It has optimistic outlook for the fact that their story is not over yet. God can still do a a wonderful work in their life, right? Endures all things. Love never ends, right? So I think you can go to the scriptures and see uh, uh, how our ethic of love
0: is to take shape. Well, man, well, I got a little confessional insight here from the Westminster Confession of Faith. Get it, (laughs) <laughs> yeah oh. <laughs> so y'all we um uh, we, we do this section not because you know we believe that these old dusty documents are you know the word of God we think these are tools that help us see what people in past ages have thought about the Christian faith and we do theology basically we talk about God and how he relates to everything mm-hmm. in community with other Christians across space and time so right here it is chapter one um section five. So it says, so this basically explains how reasoning and evidence and all the different things of revelation, our our revelation of scripture uh, relates to God's work in our lives. Mm. We may be moved and induced by the testimony of the church to in high and reverent esteem of the Holy Scripture and the heavenliness of the matter, the efficacy of the doctrine, the majesty of the style, the consent of all the parts. The scope of the whole, which is to give all the glory to God, the full discovery it makes of the only way of man's salvation, the many other incomparable excellencies, and the entire perfection thereof are arguments whereby it doth abundantly evidence itself to be the word of God. Yet notwithstanding, our full persuasion and assurance of the infallible truth and divine authority thereof is from the inward work of the Holy Spirit bearing witness by and with the word in our hearts. So I think this is a great summary of a, like a, a, a piece of the what you we were saying.
1: Could you give the reference? Of that? Yeah, I did.
0: File? Chapter one, oh, section five. I missed it. Sorry. Oh, no, it's all it's all good. And so it basically says um, like there's uh, the, the word of God arg- makes arguments and evidences itself to be the word of God. But mm-hmm. you won't accept these arguments and evidences until the Holy Spirit works within you and mm-hmm. transforms you to actually be able to recognize that God's word is God himself speaking to us. That's right. And this is really how it is with knowing what's true and what's not as it relates to the Christian faith. And mm-hmm. even like when we bump up against people who disagree with us um, is that really the Holy spirit is the, is the key kind of uh factor in all of this, that we won't believe mm-hmm. in Jesus and follow his teachings, unless the Holy spirit is working in us to to, to convince us of these truths and to renew our wills and renew our hearts that we might even be able to believe these truths. And mm-hmm. we won't be able to stand firm and love people even in the midst of mm-hmm. opposition, unless the Holy Spirit convinces us that what we believe is true and That's that right. we uh, want to share it with people and see mm-hmm. people believe in Christ and, and experience all of the fullness of his glory and joy. What's a, one practical nugget that you give a Howard student In their efforts to glorify and enjoy God in this area, build friendships with people outside of your tribe.
1: Mm, That's good. That's really important. Like one of the deepest um, dysfunctions in our country right now is tribalism. Like people stick with their kind and they don't venture outside of that. And I understand why that is. But what I'm saying is that as, as you listen to the heartbeat of the Christian faith, I think that what you notice is that we are more and more compelled to build with people across lines of difference in Jesus name. Mm,
0: that's good. So that
1: can be intimidating, but it's beautiful and there's so much to be gained from yep. that kind of, you know, thinking Yeah, about good. you.
0: Yeah. I think one piece of advice I would have is to, pick a non christian friend and start to pray for them yeah they would see who Jesus is and that they would mm. embrace him and know the glories and joy of following him Amen. like I think that we oftentimes I know for me I'll talk about like oh I want you know people to see and know Jesus and their lives to be transformed but that starts uh, when I make that an intentional piece of my life that I develop mm. the posture, it just it, that bleeds into all of my life that I'm going to be thinking and praying for those who don't know Jesus and mm-hmm. hoping that they meet him through me. Yeah, that's And I think when we begin to pray for people regularly, like we begin to remember them, we begin to be burdened mm. for them. We begin to um, see things happen in their lives that create open doors for us to love them and to share Jesus with them. So i say that's pick right. a non-Christian friend and start praying.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, it's been said, it's very difficult to hate someone that you're praying for regularly.
0: Mm, yeah. You know,
1: so it fits in with <laughs> yep. that, you know, like you're on my mind, I'm thinking about you, I care about you. And people will appreciate that from your faith perspective, you are trying to do what you believe is in their best interest. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of people will appreciate that and give you some benefit of the doubt, even if they don't
0: share your your faith. Yeah, 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 that's good. Well, mm-hmm. all right, y'all that's it for this time please Hi. we're getting some great questions please keep sending your questions and we will see y'all next week peace all right glory enjoy family if y'all would please take two seconds to subscribe to this podcast please share it with your friends please give us a rating and a review tell us what you think all right y'all thanks for tuning in see you next week